All right, Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders about to cover a topic that I haven't even attempted to cover before uh, on YouTube or on my blog, and that is deaths. Deaths of beloved pets, deaths of our tarantulas, deaths in our collection. And I want to cover it from various angles and talk about different aspects of it, including attitudes we should have when we have a death in our collection. And basically, uh, the onus of this one is the fact that uh, recently I acquired two Theraphosa Blondi slings from Tanya Fear Not Tarantulas and very excited to have these guys in my collection. And they both seem to be doing very, very well, eating like pigs, doing great. Well, one of them stopped eating last week and I figured this was normal. It was quite plump, figured that a molt was coming soon. It was going into pre-molt and then it started acting very lethargic, which again, another sign of pre-molt. Well, the other morning I went to go to work and it was, I went to peek on it and it was literally standing straight up in its enclosure. I've never seen anything do this before. It had its legs stretched out above it and it was completely stretched out, almost like if you held your hand up, which at the time I assumed, oh, it must be getting ready to flip and molt and I was pretty excited about it. So I went off to work, I came home, went to check on it and unfortunately found it in a death curl. Now, the enclosure was the quite hydrated. It had a water dish that was full. I check on my slings two times a week. So I had ruled out dehydration at this point, and the substrate was adequately moist, not overly so, and it was good ventilation. So I was really thrown by this one. I wasn't expecting this thing to be in such a bad state. I actually just expected to have a mole. So once I took it out and examined it, it still had some life left in it. And I started worrying, perhaps maybe it wasn't able to access. Maybe it didn't go to the water dish. Maybe it didn't drink from the sides of the container because I usually moisten them up. So I took it out, put it in a smaller enclosure with some water so that it could drink, put some water in its mouth parts, and put it up on a high shelf where it was a little warmer. And it wasn't a full-blown ICU because I'm still torn about whether they work. They seem to work great if the thing's dehydrated, but they don't do much for arid species or species that aren't dehydrated. You just kind of torture them by putting them into a different place. But anyway, I was desperate. I gave it a shot. And for a little bit, it seemed to get some life. It was dragging itself around. It seemed to be moving a little bit more. Unfortunately, the next morning, I got up and checked on it, and it was dead, full curl. So really disappointed by that, and it's something I've been doing this for a long time, been in the hobby for a while, and I still take deaths very, very seriously, and and they bother me a lot because I'm always haunted by the question, is there something I could have done differently? Was this my fault? Did I screw up somewhere? And I think sometimes I may be a little too hard on myself because the fact is you are going to have, if you get into this hobby and you get a lot of animals, you are going to have animals that die unexpectedly and seemingly without reason. These are not particularly expressive creatures. They're ones that can be very difficult to tell something's wrong with them until it's kind of too late. So this can be a huge issue. And obviously there is such a thing as natural death, especially when you're talking about slings in the wild. The mothers generally have a lot of slings and partly to do be to the high mortality rate. These guys are going to go out into the world. They're going to be killed by the elements, uh, whether it be heat, whether it be dehydration, flooding, um, predation by other animals. They have a lot of slings because they expect some to die. And, of course, there are always going to be weak slings. They just aren't meant to make it. Uh, I've raised a couple sacks of slings so far, and I've noticed that there are ones that come out that are the quote-unquote runts of the litter, and some of them make it, some of it don't, and they're in the exact same conditions as their siblings. So I do think that we can't beat ourselves up sometimes too much when something dies, but I don't think that we should have a dismissive attitude toward deaths in our collection. And by that, I mean, I've heard many keepers express the idea that, uh, well, I have a death in my collection, it's natural, it happens, let's move on. I do think there needs to be 
a, a period where you try to figure out, is there something that could have caused this? Was there something in my husbandry? Was there basically human error that led to the death of this animal? I think with anything that dies, that should be something that goes on right afterwards. It doesn't mean you have to kill yourself over it, and obviously things are going to happen. I'm going to share some stories where I screwed up, and I think it probably resulted in deaths. So it does happen to even people that have been doing this for a while or that know what they're doing or have these things set up right it's going to happen but i don't like the dismissive attitude sometimes that people have where they just go "Ah, i lost some slings it happens Uh, there was an instance a couple months ago actually it was probably about six months ago now i think because before christmas where a keeper emailed me and we were kind of just going back and forth a little bit and then he was telling me how he hasn't had very good luck with slings lately but it's because of the high mortality rate of slings and I asked him how many he'd lost, and he said, ah, like eight, nine. Now, this guy only had about 20 tarantulas total, and he'd already lost eight or nine. That's alarming. And when I started to ask about, like, what the conditions were, he goes, oh, no, I was keeping them completely right. It wasn't the conditions. It was the fact that, you know, just slings just die. Well, yes, slings do just die. I have lost slings mysteriously that are kept perfectly and again i can point to the fact that i've had you know three slings and one would die the other two kept in the exact same condition or adults now so that's something that happens but when you lose that many there is a point where you should sit back and ask yourself what am i doing wrong and and again i've always tried to encourage open-mindedness in this hobby i don't like when people email or contact me and refer to me as an expert because i think i've accumulated and obviously when you put yourself out there and you're doing youtube videos and blogs and stuff it looks like you kind of think you're amazing and that's not it at all i tried it the whole point of the blog to begin with was just to share things i had found and give people a resource and then i always tell people feel free to go look it up on arachnoboards go to a facebook group do other information don't just take or get other information don't just take what i'm saying for granted and that it's gold go out and listen to what other people are doing and i change my husbandry occasionally by after listening to what other people are doing. So I do encourage open-mindedness. And as such, I do think that it's important when you lose something to do some investigating, to check and make sure that your husbandry is correct, to be open-minded when somebody might say, hey, there might be another way to keep this, or it's possible that something you were doing might have contributed to the death. And again, nobody's going to tell you it was purposeful unless you're doing something completely negligent mistakes happen but I do point to like one instance and I did say I was going to talk about some of my own instances with deaths my P. muticus I've this has been documented on my YouTube channel originally when I got my P. muticus I, I got some slings and I was keeping them in really deep substrate because this is a species that is known to have like nine foot burrows in the wild and the general consensus is as much substrate as you can give them that's what you want to do you want to give them as much deep substrate to dig in as possible to try to emulate what goes on in their homes And what happened was I got two slings that I gave moist substrate. Both of them dug tunnels straight down the bottom like I expect. I am 32-ounce deli cups or about three-quarter inch slings. And it was probably about six inches or so, five and a half, six inches of substrate. So they went all the way down to the bottom and proceeded to seal up the the holes to the burrow and that was it they sat at the bottom so unlike most of my spiders or most of my spiders when they do this and seal themselves in the burrows and i've told people a million times don't dig things up they sat at the bottom and did not come up to eat and i figured they were in pre-molt and i waited and i waited and i waited and one of them did molt and i said thought to myself all right anytime now this thing's going to come up and come up and start getting food open up its burrow it did not and eventually i found it at the bottom of the burrow dead 
So I started panicking about the other one, but again, it was buried down near the bottom, and this was a few years ago, and I was always told and always practiced that if they bury themselves, they know what they're doing, they will come up. Well, this one didn't come up either, and finally, when it did come up, I found it basically in a death curl on the top of the substrate, and it never recovered. So this was two that died. Now, one dies, you go, all right, it was an oddball, maybe it just wasn't meant to live. Two die, you start going, what did I do wrong? So the next time I got some, I got juveniles, and I stumbled upon an discussion on Facebook basically about keeping them on more shallow substrate and I moved mine to shallow substrate and they're doing absolutely fine now and this caused the whole that there was it was neat because a lot of hobbyists came forward after I posted that video and said this caused me to rethink the way I kept them and a lot of people came forward and said they had also lost pemuticus slings and juveniles that had buried themselves and not come up to eat and it either dehydrated or possibly died of starvation. So technically, in this situation, I was responsible. My husbandry for the situation, although it's what everybody was saying you're supposed to do, and that was the general consensus, give them a lot of substrate, that probably led to their deaths. And I'm glad that I mulled this over and basically obsessed about it and did some reading because it caused me to change what I was doing and fix the situation. Um, there was another situation where I had an Afonapelma annex sling that I picked up. There was a little baby one, and I read that they were kept dry for the most part. So I put it in some substrate, kept kind of one corner of it dry, and it just kind of sat on top of the substrate, didn't eat, wasn't drink, drinking that I could tell. I had a little water dish in with it. And Basically, I came in one day and found it in a death crawl. It had, it looked like it had dehydrated and died, and I felt absolutely terrible about this because I realized I had let the substrate dry up a bit too much. This was before I'd raised a lot of slings, and I had somebody tell me that they like it dry. Well, that's not true. Where they come from, they can burrow, and when they burrow, they find moist substrate so they can kind of regulate how moist things are. So the next time I got one, I set it up and I kind of set it up the same way and I noticed that it was doing the same thing. It wasn't wasn't burrowing, it wasn't it wasn't eating, it would just look very scared in the corner. So what I did was I put some holes down the side of the enclosure, poured some water in, let it trickle down, and soak those bottom layers. Well, the next day I came down, the little guy had burrowed all the way down to the bottom during the where the moist layers are, and it had created a little burrow, and I dropped a cricket down with it, thing ate immediately. So right there, in this that instance, this was my husbandry that led to this sling's death. I was not doing things correctly, and as a result, the sling died. And a valuable lesson was learned from it. My second annex is doing great, just molted again. It's about three and a half inches long, big, beautiful, hopefully girl. But that's where I think we need to be when something dies. We need to examine it and go, where did we go wrong? Nobody's perfect. Everybody starts somewhere. I, I It drives me out sometimes when people come to me and they're like, oh, you're going to laugh at me about this, but this happened. I, I'm sure you don't, you know, you think it's funny because it's such a stupid thing. Like, no, I remember what all of this is like very, very well, and I still live it. When I lose something, I still get upset. I had somebody contact me just this week and they said yeah you must be used to it no I never get used to it and I obsess over them especially when you're doing something and to be completely honest I'm public with this stuff I go on YouTube I do YouTube videos I do the website we obviously have this podcast right here where I give advice and information and I want that to be accurate and if something dies my immediate thought is oh gosh I need to figure out what's wrong here so I can correct it and make sure that I'm giving people the right information and make sure that I'm not a fraud or something because I'm losing things so deaths hit me very very hard and I don't expect everybody to take it the same way but for me it's not about the money I've had people go oh well it's only 10 bucks you can buy another one I don't care if it's a $250 sling or a $5 sling it bothers me a lot if I lose something so 
what I think people should start doing and, and the way I think people should approach this is you don't want to beat yourself up over it because I have talked to people in the hobby that have lost their first spiders and they get very discouraged like this is too tough. I screwed up. I'm, I'm not meant for this. And I know I can think of one person only. I'm not going to exaggerate. One person that as far as I know, she walked away from the hobby because she lost her first sling. It was an unfortunate incident. I believe she was doing everything right, but it really discouraged her. So I don't think people should beat themselves up to the point where they leave the hobby or don't do things correctly after the fact, meaning like, so for example, you lose a species, you think it's dehydrated, so you start soaking everything down. You don't want it to start screwing up your good husbandry practices. But I think there is some, there are some times where there is an unnatural reason they die, and we do want to try to ferret that out if that's a possibility. So when something dies, you want to start taking inventory. Just, I usually do a, a bunch of things when I get, first thing I check for, any mites or anything like that. Although, honestly, mites aren't grain mites. If you use crickets, you've probably gotten grain mites. They're probably present in a lot of your enclosures not to freak people out you are going to get mites it's when they explode that they're a big deal but i look for something like that could there have been mites could they have aggravated the tarantula should could it have driven it out of its den and and made it uncomfortable you just look for signs of something wrong you look for mold most mold you can scrape out it's not a problem if you see mold in your enclosure don't immediately freak out when i freak out is when i see that yellow fungusy stuff that i'm not even sure what it is that i've heard can be bad for them the spores get everywhere and if i find it specifically in their burrows because if it's in the burrow then you need to change it move it out but if i have a spider that is ill or or, or has died on me and i see mold in there that's something i can think about Obviously, one of the biggest killers, I think, of tarantulas, especially slings, is the dehydration aspect. I've heard discussions where people have said that if a tarantula is in a death curl, then 99% chance it's dehydration. That is not true, I don't believe. I've seen tarantulas die and go into death curls that had nothing to do. They had all the access to water that they needed. What happens is when they get dehydrated, they can't keep the the fluids pumping, the hydraulics pumping. They keep their legs extended, extended so they curl in. And so that can be an issue, but it's not always an issue. However, I've seen YouTube videos where people have come on and said, oh, my... My Pisolotheria regalis died. I don't know what's wrong with it. And then they show a picture of the enclosure and it is dry as a bone, which is fine for Pisolotheria, but there's no water dishes. So this is why I'm always talking about how important it is to keep a water dish in because if you have an appropriate water dish for your tarantula and you find it in a death curl and you've been taking care of it, if it's a moisture-dependent species, if the substrate was kept moist, then that shouldn't be the cause. I wouldn't necessarily worry about dehydration. However, if you have a situation like I had with my A annex where I kept it and let it dry out and I found it in the death curl, that was on me. That was my negligence. I screwed up big time with that. So if you find a situation where it's in a death curl and it didn't have access to water or it's a species like a C. lividus that needs moisture and moist substrate and it's been dry, then yeah, you can probably look at that being an issue. Molts, bad molts are an issue. I actually got the first bad molt I've ever had recently. I've I've been very, very fortunate with my spiders having good molts and not having any issues. Well, one of my Hapalopus species, Columbia large females, flipped over to molt a few months back, and I could see her in her den. She was flipped over and looked like she was ready to molt. Well, unfortunately, three days later, she was in the exact same position. So unfortunately, I had to take her out and check on her, and she had died. She had gotten about halfway out of her molt and became stuck. So that does happen. She was kept moist. She had her water dish. I'm not sure what happened. That's that's a, a huge killer of tarantulas, unfortunately, is the molts. And I don't want people that are new to the hobby freaking out right now 
hearing this like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my tarantula in a molt. But it is a common way when you get a death that they can go. So that's something you want to look at. If it looks like it was flipped over or if it looks like it's carapace. I've, I had one person emailed me and sent me photos. They said it just died all of a sudden. They didn't get what happened. And they when they sent me the photo, you could tell the carapace had started to lift up and it hadn't been able to get out. So it got stuck in a molt. And unfortunately, sometimes you can save them. You can moisten them down. You can help them get out. But when they get that stuck, usually it's a death sentence, unfortunately. Um, other things to think about, um, falls. Sadly, that is something that has happened recently. I got an email from somebody that said their, it was their G. porteri was not doing well. They don't know what happened. It was really lethargic, and it was sitting in its enclosure, and it wasn't moving. And then they noticed there was some liquid coming out of it. So I said, hey, do you have pictures of the enclosure? And they sent me pictures of the enclosure, and what looks like what happened was they had decorated it with a bunch of, it was a SpongeBob's, um, the Krabby Patty place, it was like an ornament for a fish tank, and there were rocks, and there were pointy objects, and the tank was quite tall. And what looks like probably happened is the tarantula climbed, fell, and died. And the person felt horrified after when I explained, like, this is most likely what happened. There was a picture of the abdomen, it had blown its abdomen, and it died a day later. So they weren't aware. Unfortunately, this is something a lot of people aren't aware of because especially if you go to pet stores, they try to sell you these big tanks for them. You have to put enough substrate in there so they can die from a fall. And that is something that if you don't see it happen, you may not know what happened. There was another instance where a keeper contacted me, similar thing. They had their tarantula and it just suddenly died. Well, after talking to them a little bit, I found out that they were handling their tarantula. It bounced off a dresser and landed on the floor about three and a half, four feet below it. And I asked, was there anything wrong with it when you picked it up? And they're like, yeah, there was some liquid coming out of it, but I thought maybe it had just kind of thrown up. Let that one percolate a little bit. So unfortunately, they didn't know any better. And when I told them that their tarantula had probably died as a result of the fall, that it had internal damage, and that the fluid they saw coming out of it, I think it was the mouth, if I remember correctly, which is why they thought it had vomited. But um, there was also a spot when they showed me a picture on the abdomen that had probably killed it. They were just totally horrified on it. So that is something you could check. Um, impaction has been something that uh, has come up quite a bit, and I went public with my Uathlis parvulus. I think I got it right. They changed the name partway through it uh, recently, and I every once in a while I'll say the wrong name. But that one, I documented the fact that after doing great, after a recent molt, it was eating, it was doing fine, and it stopped eating. It was lethargic. It was dragging its abdomen, even though it wasn't webbing. It was hanging around the water dish and drinking a lot. And most importantly, it hadn't gone to the bathroom as far as I could see, and it ended up that this poor thing was impacted and I've been noticing that that is something that's coming up a lot more lately that people are finding their tarantulas with these bizarre behaviors where they look like they're grooming but they're scratching their abdomens and they're rubbing their abdomens on things and their spinnerets on things that aren't webbing you can I'll put a link to the actual article for people who are interested in reading about it but there's a lot of people coming forward now that have been noticing that what they originally attributed to um, unknown deaths that they attributed to unknown causes when they go back and look at them look like they might have been impactions and that's when the tarantula is unable to pass feces because there is a blockage um, in some instances it sounds as if it could happen as a result of a bad molt some of the um, old exoskeleton and the old skin gets stuck around the anus area and makes it so it can't go to the bathroom there's been some people that believe that it actually goes into the area and blocks the whole thing 
there's been a lot of discussion about this. Unfortunately, we don't know what causes it yet, but hopefully now that more people are aware of it and more people will share their information they have, maybe we can figure out what's going on. I had a keeper that asked, do you think it's because some species are kept too dry? That's a possibility. Who knows? We've, we found a lot of species that seem to adapt well to being kept dry with the water dish, and they seem to do okay, but perhaps when that happens, we run more of a risk of them becoming impacted. I honestly don't know what causes it, but I will say that if your animal dies and you find signs of this, chances are there was nothing you could have done about it. And all the reading I've done on impactions, I've run into a couple instances where people have been able to get them to go to the bathroom. I was able to do it with my parvulus, but unfortunately they usually die right afterwards or become impacted again. And it's obviously not a good situation for the tarantula and not a good way for it to go. So that is something that can actually kill it. Accidents with temperatures and heat. I just spoke to a buddy of mine whose power went out and he was panicking because he was afraid it was going to dip too low and the tarantulas were going to suffer for it and he has a blondie as well. So that's a terrifying thing. I know we got a generator and one of the reasons we got a generator was because I started getting so many tarantulas and we started talking about what would happen if we lost heat during the winter, which is happens a lot where I live. So things like that can cause issues and I have heard situations where people have lost power the powers come back on they you know got a little cold 50s 40s in the room in one instance and the tarantulas seem fine only to die later on so sometimes what happens is we don't notice it right away but something happens when they get too cold and then later on they die so that's something you could trace back and go oh you know what this thing was doing great i lost power the temperature dropped it was probably that Temperature fluctuations the other way, too hot, can also be an issue. I was talking to a keeper not too long ago who lived in an area where inside her home, this blows my mind because I absolutely loathe the heat, inside her home it was hitting 98 to 100 degrees, and she ended up losing a couple tarantulas that way. Um, A couple dehydrated, it looked like, because it was just very difficult to keep them hydrated in that heat, and one of them just basically crawled out onto the surface. It was some type of fossorial species, I can't remember which one it was, and died. So that's a situation where you could track it to the actual temperature. So these are all things, obviously, that, are fairly easy to deduce and folks that can figure out like, hey, you know what, I had really high heat for a week and I lost one, that's something that you can change in the future. When your heat goes up again or if that something like that happens again and it gets too hot, you can find another room, you, you can put them in an air-conditioned room. There are changes you could make next time to prevent this. Another one that freaks people out, symptoms of DKS. And again, these are symptoms. This is not a disease unto itself. It is when the animal seems to lose neurological control of its limbs. It has a very jittery motion when it walks. Its legs look all bouncy and spindly. They can't seem to control the direction they're going. It's kind of hard to explain, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, and it's pretty horrifying. And for a while, DKS was thought, people would refer to it as if it were a disease. And what we found out now or what we believe now is that it is signs of the animal being poisoned possibly by pesticides or chemicals. Uh, One of the things that was brought up is the flea and tick medication that we use for dogs and cats could cause this Um, exposure to chemicals, cleaning chemicals, bleach, things of that nature. There's been talk about mold causing it, although I haven't heard too, too much chatter about that recently. Temperature fluctuations. People, I've heard situations where people have received tarantulas in the mail when it's really cold and the heat pack failed and the tarantula ended up living even though it got down to really low temperatures. But a few weeks later or days later even, it starts showing signs of DKS, that jittery movement like you can't control, very spastic movement, spasmoidal. So 
um, the other thing could be the other end of the spectrum. It gets really, really hot and it can cause it. So that's something you can, it's pretty obvious when your tarantula has this and dies. So most people that if your tarantula gets this and dies, you know what caused it, but it doesn't stop there. You don't just go, oh, got DKS, oh well, moving on, grab another one. That's a spot where you really want to try, if possible, to figure out what the heck happened. What brought the poison? Was there something that might have poisoned it? Uh, I was talking to somebody a couple years ago that it was a really distressing story where they were painting in a room and the paint fumes got into the tarantula room and several of his tarantulas were showing signs of DKS later on. It was a hot day apparently and it just kind of got in there and apparently it affected a couple of the tarantulas and they got the DKS. So that's a situation where you could track it to that. I had a situation where one of mine was showing signs of it and it drove me nuts trying to figure out what might have been wrong. And what I think might have been happening is we used to put the flea and tick medication on the dogs and it was the stuff you would put down their spine it was very oily and you can get it on your hands and I think what might have happened in this instance is I might have had some of this stuff on my hands while I was picking up crickets or something it's the only thing I could think of but it's it's a possibility and after that I started making sure we actually don't use that anymore on the dogs but after that incident I started using gloves when I'd feed to make sure that if there were any contaminants on my hands they didn't get to my tarantulas. So when you get DKS you do want to look at things where there temperature fluctuations, where there chemicals involved, did somebody bleach, use bleach clean something in the house start trying to figure out what might have introduced a toxin into the tarantula's enclosure. If there is something that was introduced or maybe you weren't you know, aware of it at the time, you want to try to figure it out so it doesn't harm your other animals. Now, I covered another possibility for death, and I'm just kind of, this is kind of a morbid podcast here because I'm just basically going through all the things, the checklist that I kind of go through and things I look at. The nematode situation, I, I covered nematodes before, and I think for the most part, because most of our specimens in the hobby now are captive bred. It's not an issue, but with wild-caught specimens, it was an issue because what would happen is they would come in with infected with these things already, but I don't believe nematodes is a huge deal now. A lot of times I see people online immediately jump to the nematode thing, and I don't think in most cases that's it, but if you're looking for it, you're looking for that juiciness around the mouth, kind of like a cottage cheesy, nasty uh, fluidy stuff around the mouth you're looking for them to be hanging around the water dish a sweet smell to the enclosure that you should be able to recognize if you look at the stuff around the mouth you can sometimes see the little worms coming out and this is something that usually is thought to come in on wild caught specimens so if you have spiders that you know where they came from you should be in good shape uh, people brought up the idea that forward flies, which are sometimes present around cricket enclosures, and you can get them when you leave decaying uh, things behind like boluses and uh, dead prey, that they could possibly get infected with the nematodes and bring them over to other ones. And there was somebody wrote a pretty good paper describing how they thought this happened. But again, it hasn't been scientifically proven, but it's something to think about. So that is something you can check for. And there's also, they've said that if you drop a specimen that is dead in alcohol, that if there are nematodes in it, they will come out of the mouth area. So that's something you could use to check to just kind of rule out that possibility. Because the nematodes, again, I already referenced them in an early podcast, but they're like the boogeyman of the hobby. I have so many people contact me, oh my God, I think I got nematodes. And a lot of times it's just the tarantula ends up eating some of its own poo and it gets its white stuff around its mouth. It's not chalky. We're talking about a nasty, viscous, fluidy, um, off-white type stuff, yellowish. So you'll know it when you see it, and you can look up pictures online of what it looks like, and it's pretty obvious, but not usually a big thing. And finally, when talking about husbandry causes, we can talk about too much humidity and too much moisture. That has been a big issue 
um, just from some of the hobbyists I've dealt with, new hobbyists that read conflicting information. I just, I, I referenced this before when talking about the GBB, but I literally just had somebody contact me with photos of their GBB on soaking wet. It looked like somebody had completely hosed it down. There was a big water dish. And unfortunately, the person had gotten bad information and this tarantula was looking absolutely miserable. Now, had they not contacted me or at least gone online and done some more research, it didn't have to be me. I, I think anybody could have told them this was set up wrong. This thing could have died. So that's something to think about. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, what happens is we lose something and we get panicked and we get scared and we start obsessing. And obsessing on their husbandry sometimes isn't a very good thing. I will tell you flat out, and to be completely honest, I have one Therophosa blondi left and I've been checking on it daily and I've been trying to resist the urge to change anything because honestly I think the conditions right now for it are great. The temperature is good in that room. The substrate is moist but not wet. It has a water dish. It has moist moss. It's been eating but because I lost the other one now I'm panicking and I have I've been doing this a while. I've lost things before and it's hard for me to fight that urge to start tweaking things unnecessarily and I think a lot of people that get a death it's one thing a trap that we can sometimes fall into that you want to avoid. You want to figure out what where you went wrong but if you can't find anything and you talk to people and you look up information and everything looks like it's copacetic then don't mess with it. Don't toy with it. Don't change your husbandries. Don't start spraying something down because you're assuming that your animal died because it was dehydrated when in fact it had access to a water dish and moist substrate the whole time. Don't overdo things. I think it's very important and that's one of the things I hear when I talk to people about deaths. They start to panic and they start to question themselves and they start to question their husbandry and they start making mistakes that are probably making it worse off for their animals. So that's something to always keep in mind is that you want to be very aware of what went on. You want to do some investigating, some thinking, make a checklist, go through possible things that could have killed your spider and then if you can't find anything wrong with it or if there's a situation where you have siblings and they're doing okay, leave well enough alone. Don't muck with it. That's not a situation you want to be in to start killing off your other spiders because you're panicking because of a death. So if you've been in this hobby for a while, you obviously know that deaths are a part of it. But for those of you who are listening that are new to the hobby, again, deaths are part of the hobby. You're going to lose mature males. You're going to lose adults, especially if you're buying them from pet stores where they don't even know how old they are to begin with. You could be buying an adult at the end of its life cycle. It's not something to beat yourself up about. You're going to lose slings. Some slings are not meant to make it. That's the, the fact. So I do agree to a point, to go back to our original idea, that yes, sometimes things just die. Sometimes that's it's the way the hobby is. And I, I was talking to Tanya from Fear Not when I told her about this one. And she's like, well, Tom, as you know, you know, sometimes this stuff just happens. And she's absolutely right. It does. And we can't obsess over them. However, I think one of the things I try to preach through all my various forms of media right now is to be intelligent about this hobby, be logical about this hobby, do your research. And I think falling in line with that, you do want to make sure that if you lose something, you do exhaust any possibility that you lost it to human due to human error and again i'm here to tell you i've done it i've given some examples uh, two examples where i think i was personally responsible for my negligence of two slings dying or three slings dying the two muticus and the other one but um you want to make sure that you question what's going on not yourself don't put yourself in a situation where you're feeling self-conscious and that you shouldn't be in the hobby but you should try to learn from it if you lose an animal you owe it to yourself and the animal to at least try to figure out what might have happened. A lot of times, you're not going to figure it out. Again, 
those of you who've been in the hobby for a while, you've been there. For those of you who are new to the hobby, it can be frustrating to have something die on you that you think you kept perfectly well and have no reason for why it died. You're just looking at a dead curled up spider or a dead spider and you have no idea what happened. But that's unfortunately part of the hobby. But what you want to do is look at it and go, all right, let me just do this little checklist. Did it fall? Are the temperatures bad? Did I overspray it? Was it too dry? Did it look like it had signs of an impaction? Was Did I see DKS sim, uh, symptoms before? Was there mold in it? Just try to find some reason. And again, with the, I bring up the mold and the mites only because sometimes it, it just gets you thinking that this could be a possibility, but I don't think that's a really common one. So for people out there panicking right now because they saw a mite in their enclosure, there's a bit of mold, not a big thing, but it does point something. It is something you want to make note of. So for example, if I find mold in the enclosure and something dies, now I'm making sure the rest of my enclosures are spotless. You want to be careful there. But you do want to at least take an inventory, see what could have happened, prove to yourself that you couldn't have done anything wrong. And if you didn't do anything wrong and you search around, do some research, then you're fine. It's, it happens. But if you do find something that went wrong with it, that's valuable. That's valuable information. That's something you can use to change it next time and hopefully avoid that mistake with another one. So that's it for this one. Hopefully it wasn't too morbid. Um, again, for those of you who want to comment, go over to Facebook. And I apologize. I've been terrible with getting onto Facebook lately. I've been very, this is my busy time of year. So between the podcast, the videos, the blog, and answering a lot of questions and emails and stuff, I've been getting behind. So I apologize. But you can find me on Facebook. And I do read everything on there. And I got to go on in a minute and respond to the people from last week. Um, a little bad there. And then you can obviously find me on YouTube and then on www.tomsbigspiders.com, which is my blog, which I'll be posting more stuff on in the future. So again, feel free to check me out in any of those places. And again, thanks so much everybody for listening and I'll talk to you next time.